Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, it was good. You were just as good as first service. Awesome. I was telling first service, when, I, when I'm teaching with the kids, I'll, I'll usually ask how they're doing, and then I try to get them all riled up and get them really loud. So when I, when I hear it loud, it's, it's awesome. So, well, welcome. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the Family Ministries Director here at the church, and we're going to be unpacking the final little piece of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first sermon that kind of initiated his, his, his preaching ministry. Um, so if you could turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. And as you do that, I've got a couple uh, just reminders. One, uh, we are recruiting for VBS volunteers in the courtyard. So if you've joined us in the past and you're planning on joining us again, please, please stop by there and sign up. If you haven't and you're able to get some time off from work and come pour into the next generation, we'd love to have you. Uh, also, there's the men's camp out sign-ups, which is happening at the end of April. I also encourage you to just remind you to, to pray for Joel LaPere, who's our uh, high school director. Him and some adult leaders and about 60, 65 students are on their spring break mission trip. So they're going to be building three homes, ministering to some families, putting on a VBS, sharing the gospel with kids. So pray that God opens their hearts and, and uses them mightily. And lastly, I want you to just remind you to be praying for the families affected by the, the Covenant School shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, these were brothers and sisters in Christ who, who lost their lives. And we want to pray for the families who are mourning that loss, um, that God would bring them comfort and peace. Um, and we just encourage you to pray for them. So let us pray for uh, just our, our time this morning as we get into God's word, and then we'll jump in. So Father, we thank you for your word that does not return void or empty. Thank you for your word that it, it gives life. Your word is true. We thank you that you've given us your word that we, we don't have to question your character and your will and, and how we can have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. You've made it very clear. And in the midst of a world that's trying to make things chaotic and, and gray and fuzzy, God, you pierce through that with clarity because of your word. God, we thank you for Jesus going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, dying, rising again, ascending to your right hand, and he will return someday and make all this right. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who illuminates your word in our hearts. So God, have your way with us. May it be your words and not mine. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I ask you to think about a word, when I say obedience, what are some things that come to mind? And you don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to think about it. When you think about the idea of obeying or obedience, what comes to mind? Does the thought of maybe bringing up some angst, maybe, maybe you've experienced someone who was kind of overbearing and, and you've got to do this and do that, and maybe you rebelled away from that. Maybe you think rules and regulations Blah, boring. When I was in my previous career, that was my job. I had a notebook. I was a safety guy, and I would tell people, like, oh, you're doing that wrong. The book says this. People didn't like me very much because of that. But does that what comes to mind when you think of obedience? Um, you think maybe of safety and security. Some of us like boundaries. We like walls. We like the, 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 the sandbox that we can work in. Some of you think, like, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Is that what this draws out of you when we think of the idea of obedience. 
And so when we get to this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of, it's his conclusion. It's the so what. He's saying, I've, I've declared, I've clarified, I've taught you all of these things. So now are you going to do what I said? Are you going to obey the words that I've just communicated? Or are you going to be like the foolish man who didn't? And so we're going to see what happens when we build our life on the rock, on Jesus Christ, versus what it looks like to build our life on the sand, the world that comes crashing down. So when we think about obedience, we all obey somebody. And we typically obey some, the people that we listen to. So John 14, 15, this is what Jesus says about the idea of obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so when we look at this passage, we're going to look at it through the lens of who Jesus is. We're going to look at it through John 14, 6. Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we think about obedience, Jesus doesn't want us just to do the things. He wants our heart. And that's what he's making clear throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And when we go back all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that it's the declaration to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. It's more than just doing the things that he asks us. He's, it's the heart in which we do it. And so we see to truly obey Christ wholeheartedly, we've got to understand that we can trust his words and then we can trust his way and we trust that he is the only source of life. And so the first point I want to make is that we obey Christ wholeheartedly when we trust his word. And we get a glimpse of that in Matthew 7, verses 24 and 26. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So Jesus is saying, my words and he's contrasting. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5, six times in that chapter, he makes this declaration, you have heard that it was said. And then he says, but I say. So he's contrasting, he's contrasting the scribes, he's contrasting the teachers of the law at the time who were trying to relax the commandments. They were trying to make it easier to comply with. And what it was doing was it was leading the sheep, it was leading Israel astray. And Jesus is coming to make it clear. I'm clearing up what the people that you were supposed to trust were getting it all wrong. I'm making it clear. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he bookmarks, he bookends it with this, and then he bookends it with what we're going through in Matthew 7. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes 
He's going after the scribes who are relaxing God's word. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we're seeing Jesus in the first century. He's contrasting the experts. And this is like what's happening today. We have experts everywhere. They've got a bunch of fancy initials behind their names. And the world is just flocking to experts and, and clinging on to every word they say. And they're, they're building their life on what they are saying. In a sense, they're obeying the experts. And what Jesus is saying is the experts had it wrong. I'm coming here to make it right. I'm correcting what they had wrong. And so an example of this, and I'm trying to bring up to a, a modern-day example. So in this, this past week, uh, we on staff, we meet every Tuesday morning. Um, and this last week, Pastor Eric wanted us to watch a, a video. So it was a discussion between um, Sean McDowell um, and, and another gentleman who, came, who claims to be a progressive Christian. He's a pastor. And so it wasn't so much of a debate more than Sean was just trying to draw out of him, like, what do you really believe? Because I don't think we believe the same thing. And so just, here's just a couple, couple statements that this uh, progressive Christian made. Um, he says, we are incarnations of God like Jesus. And so he says that, therefore, Jesus is on our level. So Jesus, who is completely God, completely man, sinless, saying that we are like him. He's on our level. And he's using some scripture to support it. And you're kind of listening to it, and you're like, oh, okay, I see where you're going, but that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And then he goes, and he's, he's kind of referencing Matthew chapter 15. So Jesus is having a discussion with a Canaanite woman. The Canaanite woman's coming to him and saying, Jesus, please heal my daughter. And initially, he's, he, he says no. And they have this discussion about bread and crumbs and dogs eating the crumbs that, that get dropped off the table. And, and Jesus sees that she understands who Jesus is and she, he sees her faith. And he says, I will heal your daughter. And so this, this progressive Christian says, well, Jesus' initial response to her was not a kind response. And he says, therefore, Jesus made a mistake. Therefore, Jesus sinned. And then you're like, okay, that's, that's not right. And go on in the, in the video, and he says, inerrancy of Scripture, therefore, is patently false. God's word is error-filled, is what he's saying. And this is where we land in this passage, is because Jesus is saying, my words are absolutely true. There is no error. There is no falsehood in my words. And so this, this, this belief that this progressive Christian is, is making these declarations that he's making, it is no different. It's been happening throughout human history. So we go back to Genesis chapter 3. You have the serpent who comes to Eve, and he's attempting to deceive her, and he makes this statement. He says, did God really say? He questioned God's word. And who did Eve listen to? She listened to the serpent. She obeyed the serpent, she sinned, and then 
we know what the rest of history happens. And so who we listen to is important. So we need to understand that when we are studying God's word, we understand that it is inerrant. It is without error because it is God's word. And we're going to unpack how we get to that, okay? So bear, come, bear with me. Last service, I went really fast. I'm going to try and slow down a little bit, okay? So if anything, if you just grab the, the passages uh, that we're going to run through, but I, I want you to have some, some scriptural support of where we're going. So the first thing we're going to say is that God is eternal and he's uncreated. He's outside of time. Nobody created God. He has always existed. We call that the, he's the uncaused cause. Nobody caused him to, to come into an existence, but he causes everything to become, come into existence. So God is eternal and he's uncreated. God is also, there is no falsehood in God. Hebrews 6.18 tells us this. He says that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie. He cannot speak anything false. It goes against his nature. We also know this about God. When God speaks, things happen exactly as he declares. Isaiah 55.11 tells us that. He says, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks, it happens. When he speaks, it's always true. So in the question, okay, we understand that this is God's nature. We can then trust God's word, but can we trust Jesus's words? That's the next question, because that's what's coming under question when we talk about that, the debate I referenced earlier. So this is what Jesus says about God's word, and we're, gonna, we're kind of saying the Old Testament, what did God say? Luke 24, 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying that everything written in the Old Testament is about me. It's pointing to me. And so when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, now he's saying, I say. So he's equating his words with what the Jews would have understood as God's word in the Old Testament. And so we see that God's word is Christ's word, because Jesus is the word. The word is about him. It is him. So let's understand that. John chapter one, we're gonna go through a few verses in that chapter to help us understand that. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we, start, we see the Trinity there. We see Jesus who is God. He's with God. He was in the beginning with God. He's been there throughout all eternity. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17. The law was given through Moses. 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we understood that God created everything. And we're seeing everything was created through Jesus. Jesus was there at creation. Jesus is God. Therefore, his words are completely trustworthy and true. Absolutely true. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So we see if God is without error, he's without sin, he can't speak a lie, there's no falsehood, we know that that same thing applies to Jesus. We can trust his words. And then Jesus says this about his words, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' words are eternal. So we trust God. We trust Jesus because Jesus is God. He is the word. But can we trust this, which is the Bible, which we claim this is God's word? Yes, we can. And so when we say, when, when 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that all scripture is, in, is God-breathed, is inspired, what we're saying is that all the original manuscripts written by the original authors that were in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, those are all God's word. They're inspired. They're inerrant. They're without error. And so what we have here in our hands is a translation of copies of those originals. And so this is where the debate kind of comes in. Well, we don't have the originals. <laughs> and so this is, this is what I'm going to say. This is how we're going to think about this, this conflict, if you will. If God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, we've already established that. If God can create the universe and everything in it by speaking it into existence, he just speaks and it happens exactly as he declares. If God can split the Red Sea in two walls of water so that the Israelites can pass through it to escape Egypt, if God can raise the dead from life, he raised Christ from the dead, then God can preserve his word. God is not impotent in his ability to preserve his word. So therefore, it can be trusted. We can trust his word. So then if God's word can be trusted, if God's word is, has authority and it's absolutely true, then as Jesus said in Matthew 5, we're not at liberty to relax it. We're not at liberty to water it down. We're not at liberty to change it just because we don't understand it or because it's hard. And so Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount is in a sense rebuking the scribes because that's exactly what they're doing because they see that they can't do it perfectly. And so when we think about that, think about our, our obedience has eternal consequences. So we think about who, who are we listening to? Who do we listen to the most? Does their voice impact how you live? And that's, it's a good thing for us to evaluate. Are we building our life on Jesus or are we building our life on the world? And then the other thing we want to think about is can we, can we identify the modern-day modern scribes? So what I'm, 
lumping this progressive Christian in is, is similar to what the scribes were doing in Jesus' day. Trying to make sense of things that are hard and understandable and trying to water it down so it's easy to follow. But in, in the process, distorting and manipulating it and leading people astray. And then how much priority are we giving to understanding and obeying Jesus' word that's found right here in Scripture? And so when we obey, we think about obeying, we think about obeying with all of our hearts. First, we have to trust his words. And hopefully we've demonstrated that he can be absolutely be trusted. His word can be trusted. But we could, still, we could trust his words and not trust his way. And so we see in Matthew 7, 25 and 27 is that we, can, we learn to obey Christ wholeheartedly when we trust his way. And let's, let's read those together. Verse 25, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And in verse 27, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There's just some things that are going on in those two verses one, we see this idea of building our life. So it's, it's who are we modeling our life? Who are we listening to? Who are we patterning how we live and, and how we obey? When it says the rock, that's Christ. Eloy, we, we sang about that earlier. So Matthew 21, 42. says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And he's going back, going back to the, the Old Testament who the Jews would have known this word, this is God's word. Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that most important rock for all the structures that they built. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This cornerstone is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. So we think of the sand, that's the world, the world's philosophy. And it's, he's describing it as sand because it constantly changes. And if we're watching the world right now, we're seeing that happen. It's, it's always been that way. The philosophy of the world has always changed. And then we see the wise man who believes, obeys, and obeys with his full heart. And then we see the foolish man. And I want us to understand this foolish man because when we read it and we just gloss over it, we can think like, oh, just a guy just made some mistakes. You know, maybe that wasn't a wise thing to do. Um, I kind of think about it like, with my son, if I were to ask my son, hey, son, that, that barbecue's hot. If you touch it, it's going to burn, right? And he touches it, like, well, see, I told you that wasn't the smart thing to do. Like, we could read that and think that that's what Jesus is saying. If we go to Matthew 5, I want to unpack that word and see that there's more depth to it. Matthew 5, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he says, whoever insults, the Greek word there is raka, which simply means to insult. It's kind of saying like, man, you're dumb. Like, that was a stupid move. You're an idiot, right? That's kind of what that word is saying. And then we, we keep going. It says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, the Greek word for fool is moros, which is where we get the word moron, okay? You moros will be liable to the hell of fire. So there, you can see that there's already a difference between those two words. 
And when he says moros, he's saying that this is somebody who's morally worthless. This is a scoundrel. This is somebody who has no heart or no desire to follow Christ. He is a fool. And so the fool will build his house on the sands and it will come crashing down because it's not built on Christ. No desire to follow Christ. So Jesus, we might think that, oh, that's harsh. But Jesus, who is the only one who's able to peer into our hearts and see the true nature of our hearts is making that declaration and saying it's foolish. So the question comes to mind to me is, okay, if, if if I trust God's word, how can somebody not trust God's word or how can somebody trust God's word but not trust his way? And so Matthew chapter 13, this is the parable of the sower. And he explains how this can happen. We see that the sower, he's, he's spreading his seed in the field. And some of it goes on to the, the pavement. And the bird comes and swoops it up. And then he says some is, is put out into rocky soil where there's not a lot of soil for it to get grounded in. And he says in verse 20, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Believes it, sees it, receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. He says, Jesus, your words are great. I believe them. But I don't want to go through anything hard. I thought this was supposed to be easy, Jesus. I thought you came here to, to make this easy for me. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So you got one person who can't follow Jesus because it's hard. Another one can't follow Jesus because the world has too much good stuff to offer and he'd rather be doing that. But I think as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's important for us to understand that, that Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, I read that. Je- Jesus' way is hard. And he mentioned that as well. So we see that in Matthew 7. Pastor Eric talked about this last week. He's talking about entering by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus is saying, it's it's hard to follow me. But there's a reward and I'm with you. And there's life in my way. Jesus' way is not comfortable. Matthew 8, 18 through 20. It says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And then a scribe, ironically, a scribe came up to him and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You're the man, I'll follow you. And Jesus, likely peering into his heart, makes this statement. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The idea that I don't have a comfortable place where I can, I can rest. Following me is going to be uncomfortable. And he wanted this, this scribe to, to count the cost. 
Jesus' way includes suffering. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And to that we say, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus suffered, and he suffered for us. Those who follow him will suffer like him. But we also will be glorified with him. We have an eternal destiny to look forward to. So when we look at suffering, when we look at the, the hardships, when we look at the fact that it's not comfortable, we remember that, that we have something to look forward to. And then lastly, we need to understand that Jesus' way is designed to strengthen our faith. Peter, when Jesus was going to be arrested, Peter says, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. No, I won't. I'll never. I'll never betray you. And he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus didn't prevent that from happening in Peter's life. He allowed it to happen because he wanted him to learn and grow. Jesus was looking ahead and seeing that Peter was going to be one of the apostles who were going to help establish Jesus' church. The world was beating on Peter. The world will beat on the Christian. And it's by design. God is using it to strengthen us. We see in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus will allow us to be tested because he wants to prove the genuineness of our faith so that we may bring glory to him. So following Jesus is not always hard, but it is going to forgive us life. So as a response to that, how do we respond to suffering? Do we believe that suffering is part of God's plan? Or do we believe that it's a sign that God is not with you? There, there are Christians who believe that if you're, a, if you're a Christian, then everything should go as planned. You should be wealthy. You should be healthy, never sick, never suffering. But when we, when we read Scripture and we hear Jesus' words, that's not the case. It will be hard, but it leads to life. In what ways do we need to look at our situations differently and see that Jesus has a design. Our suffering is not in vain. God has a plan. He's going to use it to build us up, to build our faith. He's going to use it to bring himself glory. He's going to demonstrate to the world that it's him who's working through us. We're weak. We're sinful. But God works through us. 
So we can believe Jesus' words. We can trust them. We can trust his way. So even if we're trusting his way and we're working through those challenging times, we can still do it begrudgingly. We can still do it out of obligation. Do it in a sense like we're checking a box. And we find that we, we obey Christ wholeheartedly when we, when we trust him as our source of life, our only source of life. And so Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so Jesus, we go back to Matthew, beginning of Matthew 5. Jesus took a position on top of the mountain and he sat down and then he taught. So he took a position of a king. A position takes his seat on the throne above his people, and then he makes declarations. So Jesus, who took the position of authority in a king, now at the end of his sermon, the people recognize this is the king. This is the Lord of Lord, the king of kings. And they were astonished by his teaching because if you look at Jesus' teaching, he made it harder. He said, I know that what you've heard is said is just, you know, if you don't practice adultery, that's okay. But he's saying, I'm telling you that it's about the heart and the mind. I don't want you to lust after another woman. I don't want you to be angry in your heart with your brother. He just made it much harder because he took it back to the original intention that it's about loving God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. So then why are these people astonished? Because they recognize it's the king and they recognize that these words are bringing life and they brought clarity to the confusion that the experts had created. And so we that Jesus is the only source of life. And the best way that I can kind of describe this life is in Luke 24. And this is uh, an account we had. Uh, Jesus has already died on the cross. He's been laid in the tomb. And now there's the accounts that he's been risen. He's, he's risen back to life. And so these disciples are walking to Emmaus and they're talking about everything that happened that weekend. And they're puzzled, they're confused. In verse 15, it says, while they were walking or while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, and he said to them, Hey guys, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And so they're walking, and then they did one of these. What? Where have you been, right? And they stood still, and they were looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Like, where have you been? You've been hiding out in some rocks some, some time for the last three days? And Jesus literally was behind a stone, right? So that's a discussion for next Sunday and being resurrected. And Jesus said to them, what things? Right? He's, totally, he's totally playing with them here. And then they're describing, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He died. And he, you know, he's, they're explaining what's going on. And then verse 25, and he, Jesus, said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And it says, in beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he grabbed the Old Testament while they walked and he explained throughout the whole, look, this is who I am. This is what the word has declared about Jesus. This was supposed to happen. And so they, they walk, they get to uh, the destination. They invite him to stay with them. Verse 30, this is when he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, so then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, this is where I want to get to. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What they were experiencing with Jesus is what the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount were experiencing. That the author of life, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence was in their presence. And when he spoke, it gave life. Jesus is our creator and he is the only source of life. His words bring life. So we see John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. If you build your sand on the thief, you will be destroyed. You will fall. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 7, 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, he goes back and he's referencing scripture again. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the one that provides living water. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus starts his preaching ministry in Galilee. This was the blue collared area of Jerusalem these people were manipulated. They were led astray by the people they were supposed to trust, the experts. They were, they were placing heavy burdens on the people that they could not uphold. They were burned out by works. And Jesus came, my yoke is easy, burden is light. So we find that this is the king. This is our King Jesus. He's the one that gives us true life. Jesus is the awaited king who humbly enters Jerusalem on a donkey. This is what we celebrate today in Palm Sunday. Jesus going into Jerusalem to do stage one of his rescue mission, to die on the cross, to atone for the sins of many, to rise again, to ascend back to the Father. He's gonna come back and make all things right. And what he's asking is that in the meantime, until he returns, we hear his words and we do them. We live by faith and we trust him. 
We trust his word, we trust his way, and we trust that he is the only source of life. So some questions when we think about this. What, are, what things do we look to to give us life or fulfillment or wholeness? What are the things that are not Christ that we're looking to, to try to fulfill us and make us whole? Are we building our life on God's word by what Jesus says? Or are we building our life on the philosophy of the world? Or worse, are we trying to blend them? Because in this passage, I don't see there's an option for blending. It's either I listen or I don't. And the last question is, does, feel, does following Christ, does it feel like a drudgery? Does it feel like an obligation? Does it feel like you're checking the box? And if it is, think about why that is. And if you're feeling that way, don't leave here today without coming and talking to one of us on staff, anybody with has a badge. We want to help you work through that. We want you to see that Jesus gives life. And so the question that we kind of started with and we alluded to is, who are you listening to? Because who we listen to matters. Because we obey who we listen to. And Jesus says he wants us to listen to him. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to build our life on him. Because if we build our life on him, it will stand firm because he is our firm foundation. So let us do that as, as a church. And let me pray. Father in heaven, God, you are above all things. You are holy and you are righteous and you are true. In you there is no deceit as we read. Because you are true and because you're holy and because you are righteous, you desire to make your goodness known to us. You don't want us to stay in confusion. You don't want us to be vague. You came to bring clarity. You came to bring truth. And it's that truth that gives us life. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, who is the word who came flesh. God, we thank you for your word that we can trust it. Thank you that you preserved it for us today. Thank you that we can understand your character and your will, truth and your way. And it's your word that gives us life, God, and we thank you so much that you've given us, to, given us that. God, we ask that by the strength of the Holy Spirit that you would help us to obey, knowing that, God, obedience is also repentance and asking for forgiveness. It's, you're not asking us to be perfect, but you're asking us just to build our life on you, to trust you, obey. God, help us to do that. God, we trust you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Thank you.